So if you live in my country, which is America, you know that we have a gun issue here. From mass shootings to gang violence, there is an obvious, complicated, and layered gun issue. There's a mental health issue. There is a legislation issue around this. And there's a lot of disagreement among our citizens in regards to the approaches to resolving this um, in regards to the underlying factors that are contributing to this. Our country is divided here. In 2020, America experienced a sort of reminder, or I should say a reminder of sorts, <laughs> of our history around race and systemic issues still perpetuating oppression, injustice, and inequity today. Mixed into all of that madness, over the past four years, we've had a pandemic. We've had a tumultuous presidential election or two. <laughs> One of the patterns I've noticed, and I'm sure you have too, is that what seems to happen is that we have some sort of big incident like a school shooting. There's a public outcry of sadness, frustration, anger, fear, lament, and then after a few days, things get kind of quiet and we eventually move on as life moves on and as our news cycles move on and we no longer have um, discussions or the, the, the incident is no longer in the limelight and it just seems like it kind of goes away and nobody really knows if anything got resolved. We, we don't know if anybody got the help they needed. You know, we just kind of move on and live life because that's what we do. We, we have our own lives that we live. We have things that keep us busy. We have things that are priority to us just as an individual, right? Until it happens again, until there's another police shooting of a person of color until there is another school shooting, until there is another obvious act of injustice, a uh, 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 controversial court case or judgment, you know, whatever the thing is that hits the news that we become outraged about and divided about in the cycle starts again, all right? Christians, historically speaking in our country will come together in the midst of these crises, in the midst of these incidences and pray, right? We pray for our nation. We pray for the individuals that are involved. We pray for our, our leaders and governing officials. At least some of us do. But one of the phrases that I have read and heard amid these tragedies and these incidences and incidents, and as well as felt at times, and these are phrases that I hear from both the Christian community and non-Christians alike. It's gonna take more than prayer. We need some sort of action. There needs to be a solution. It's going to, it, don't just pray. It's like almost offensive to say we're, um, we need to pray, right? If you say that, you post it on your social media platform, we just need to pray. And somebody's gonna say, it has to be more than prayer. Your prayer ain't working. Your prayer's not helping, right? And I completely understand this statement. That statement probably is mixed up into some of the reasons why needle movers began in the first place in the midst of my frustration and anger around injustice and inequity in America, which was absolutely highlighted and brought to the forefront in 2020 for me. I took action by starting Needle Movers for Social Equity. It was time to move the needle in some way as far as I was concerned. It's like, I, I can no longer sit back and feel what I feel. I can no longer sit back and not offer 
some sort of solution, even if it felt small and insignificant to this overwhelming problem of inequity and injustice for people of color, for humans, period, right? Um, I wanted to make a difference. And this is my, my answer is this organization. It's one of my answers. But I will say, and this is something I'm still learning. I have absolutely learned in the past. My actions are in vain towards this issue of inequity. If my personal actions are not rooted in my personal prayer. These problems of inequity, one of the problems that we are working to close equity gaps in is with reading literacy and education. That is a huge focus for us. We are actively building out curriculum and programs and working with students. This is going to be our third year coming up at 2023-24 school year to work directly with students with our curriculum to help them close reading comprehension gaps. This is a solution to a problem. It's a small contribution to a really big issue. All right. But my point is this issue of inequity in education and, and opportunities for learning is beyond me. It's too big for me. It's beyond my education levels, beyond my abilities and my skills is beyond my intelligence. I, I promise you it's beyond my intelligence is beyond even just my life margin and my capacity to do the work. I only have so much time and effort to give outside of the things that are priority to me regarding my children and my family and my, the other parts of my life that are valid and important. Right. And I think this is true for most people. You know, most people are just living average regular lives, trying to raise kids, trying to make ends meet, trying to go to work, trying to be a good citizen um, and contribute to moving the needle towards addressing these huge issues that cause national outcries and lament. That is overwhelming for just the average person, even the non-average person, the people that work in these things day in and day out, people, our governing officials, our Congress, are the organizations that work and plug into these issues in some way, shape, or form, they also have lives outside of addressing these issues, right? How do we live normal lives? How do we manage our limited time and capacity, energy, intelligence, all of that, and address things that are beyond us? Um, I just, I believe that we do not have what we need to address this. It is my belief that no matter who you are, no matter how smart you are, how much money you have, how much money you don't have, how much schooling you have, how much experience you have, your skill set, I don't think you have what we actually need. All of these things are beyond you. I don't I just do not care who you are. Our president and congressional leaders don't have what it takes. Our civil workers don't have what it takes. Our school administrators don't have it. Our judicial system doesn't have it. But there is something that we all have if we take advantage of it. We all have access to the one who does have answers and instructions regarding our responses towards unrighteousness, injustice, and inequity. If we choose to access him, we can. And that access begins with prayer. It begins with prayer. So the question, does it take more than prayer? Well, 
in this episode of my series, Spiritual Discipline to Cultivate Equity, this is what I hope to answer for us. So let's go ahead and hop in. Welcome to the Study, Pray, and Rest podcast with Deanna Mason, where we help heal broken hearts through the tool of biblical literacy and help ministry leaders and business owners sustain the work they feel called to do through the gift of Sabbath rest. I'm Deanna Mason, your host, and I'm so happy to have you. Okay, so I want to revisit the defining of the word discipline. I kind of, I'm not kind of, I did not define it based on what was in Webster. I kind of referenced it in our introductory episode, but I wanted to spend some time defining it here just so you can see how it compares to the Hebrew and the Greek definitions that I did give in the first episode. I'm going to give those again in this episode too, but discipline defined in the Webster Control gained by enforcing obedience or order, orderly or prescribed conduct or pattern of behavior, discipline as defined by Webster is self-control, discipline defined by Webster could be punishment, or training that corrects, molds, or perfects the mental faculties or moral character. A discipline can always be, can also be a field of study like I'm studying the discipline of, you fill in the blank, and it could be a rule or system of rules governing conduct or activity, all right? So this is the Webster's definition of discipline. The Hebrew definition, which is Hebrew word 3256, that's the one that I'm working with regarding this series, means to chasten, discipline, instruct, or admonish, okay? To chasten or correct, discipline, instruct, or admonish, and the Greek, which do I have the Greek number? I don't know if I included the Greek number in my notes here, but in the Greek, it means the whole training and education of children, which relates to the cultivation of mind and morals and employs for this purpose, commands and admonitions, reproof and punishment. So it has a use in the New Testament or the Greek New Testament that is specifically talking about the training and education of our children. But there's also a reference to adults and it, it's used in this way. Whatever in adults also cultivates the soul, especially by correcting mistakes and curbing passions. It's instruction which aims at increasing virtue. Chastisement or chastening of the evils with which God visits men for their amending. So it's this chastening of evil parts of our heart that when we spend time with God, spend time in his word, submit our life to the teachings of Jesus, he helps us in amending this. And so the definition or the working definition I have of spiritual discipline for this series are the regular practices we put in place that allow God to correct mistakes, curb our passions, increase our virtue and make amendments for sin and evil with him. Okay. All right. 
So now I want to talk about how prayer contributes to equity, which is what this episode is about. And I have five things that I want to share in just forming the conversation about our prayer and its contributions to creating a more righteous, just, and equitable world. All right. So, and I'm going to do my best to point to scripture support as we go. All right. So the first thing I wanted to point out is prayer is a behavior and tool of the kingdom. It's part of the identity of a believer. A life of prayer is what we do. It is something that belongs to the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of the world. And you must know that prayer is effective in order to trust it. So you have to start with that foundational belief that we have been instructed to pray and God hears and gets involved in our prayers. It's not just a cop-out, just pray. No, in the kingdom of God, it is a weapon. It is a tool. It is part of our identity as believers, but it is only effective when we know that God is hearing our prayers he is getting involved with our prayers. All right. So I have a whole Bible study course. It's going to show up probably as a course in our Thinkific app, study, pray, and rest. It is actually a study that is done by Kate Arthur, but I ran the six week study with a small Bible study community within Refresh Moms last year. And it's available to you to hop in. So if you want to learn more about effective prayer, you can hop into that study for free. All right. And I have also instructions on how you can actually buy K. Arthur's study on that. That's a great place to start if you're not sure, if you believe that your prayers are even effective, that God is even getting involved with your prayers. We have to start with that foundation that prayer is not something that we do that is unfruitful. Prayer is actually given to us as a gift to access God and he gets involved with it, all right? So that's the first thing. That's where we have to start. Everything else I'm gonna teach builds off of that basic foundational understanding. So I am not trying to, def I'm not trying to defend the efficacy of prayer here. I am speaking to the person that already believes that prayer is effective. Okay. You have to start there. And if you're not there, then that's where I want to invite you to do some study around in order to strengthen your faith that you God hears and answers your prayers. All right. So the second thing, prayer, because it's a tool in the kingdom of God, evens the playing field automatically. We all have equal access to the true God, the God of the universe, the all sovereign God in prayer. God does not care what roles we hold here in the world. And he does not show favoritism on someone praying to him over another person. So the president praying versus my daughter praying, they are still the same level and equitable um in equitable access as far as God is concerned. And one of the scriptures that I used to support how prayer is equal access for every single person that believes in Jesus is in James. So I want to read James chapter five. I'm going to read 16 
through 18. All right, here we go. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. I'm going to start at 13. I actually think that's even better. Let me start at 13. I'm going to read through verse 18. Are any among you suffering? Any. That implies any. <laughs> Are any among you suffering? They should pray. Are any cheerful? They should sing songs of praise. Are any among you sick? They should call for the elders of the church and have them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. So James is giving um, the recipients of his letter these instructions, all right? The prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise them up and anyone who has committed sins will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins one, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. Why? The prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. The prayer of the righteous. So if you are righteous, your prayer is effective. And listen to what he does to prove this point. Verse 17 says, Elijah was a human being like us. Elijah was a human being like us. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. That's significant. Okay. If you know the story of Elijah, when he, when he, when the rain was held up and for three entire years, three and six months, three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth because Elijah asked for it. Then he prayed again and the heaven gave rain and the earth yielded its harvest. So first of all, I don't think that, that, that we're arguing the fact that praying for rain to to stop for three years and six months, three and a half years, is a significant, huge, beyond me achievement for that to happen. That That is a huge thing to pray for, all right? God listened, God answered, all right? And then he prayed for it to rain and then God released the rain, all right? Here's the thing. James is using the fact that Elijah prayed this to show them that they have the same access to God. They would have understood or they would have held Elijah as someone that was a great man of God, a great prophet of God. He was highly esteemed in their history, all right? So he uses someone who is highly esteemed and revered in their historical history as believers people of God to show them that you have the same power that Elijah had. You can pray like him. All right. So we have equal access and equal playing on an equal playing field in regards to accessing God in prayer. Number three, in the kingdom of God, we can pray when there is national trouble. We are actually the ones that would come to God when our nation is in trouble, okay? And one of the accounts, historical accounts, that I think shows this beautifully is in Second Chronicles, talking about Jehoshaphat, who was king of Judah. Okay, so just a little bit about Jehoshaphat and the kings, the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah. Um, in the books of Kings or the book of Kings, talking first and second Kings, there is a history given to us 
of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah. Okay. And one of the main themes of these books is the ability to see what happens when a righteous king is leading and what happens when an unrighteous king. All right. So these, the book of Kings, first and second Kings gives us a historical record of the first Kings of Israel and shows us the difference between what is considered a good King and what is considered a bad King. And the only things that differentiated them is a good King is one that honored the covenant of God and a bad King dishonored the covenant of God. That's the only difference. That's what made one good and one bad. And Jehoshaphat was one who attempted to honor the covenant. And in chapter 19, we find him making the needed reforms after the death of King Ahab, who was not honorable. <laughs> he now tries to reestablish the reforms necessary to uh, within that nation to honor the covenant God made with the people of Israel. Okay. So that's what we are seeing in second chronicles chapter 19 now after the reforms the enemies of god the enemies of israel so if they're if they're enemies of israel historically um in the old testament if, if if they're enemy of israel then they are enemy of god all right and we find enemies of israel lining up to go to war against king jehoshaphat or or enemies of um, King Jehoshaphat, who was king of Judah, which was a, a part of the divided kingdom of Israel. And I'm going to read verses one through four, just so you can see what's now happening after Jehoshaphat has come, has come and he is now making these reforms. Okay. After this is chapter 20 verses one through four, after the, this, which is after the reforms, the Moabites and Ammonites, and with them some of the Munite, I can't pronounce this, Immunites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Messengers came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom and beyond the sea. Already they are at Hazazan Tamar, which is in Gedi. Jehoshaphat was afraid. He set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the towns of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. So what we are seeing in verses one through four, that Jehoshaphat, first of all, was what? He was afraid. He was the king and he was afraid. And in his fear, he set himself to seek the Lord. And he also modeled that for the people of Israel who did the same. So he's made these reforms. Now the country is back to wanting to honor God. And he sets himself to seek the Lord when he's in trouble. Okay. Now I want to read verses five through 12. Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord, God of our ancestors, are you not God in heaven? Do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations in your hand are power and might so that none, that no one is able to withstand you? Did you not, O our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of your friend Abraham? 
They have lived in it and in it have built you a sanctuary for your name saying, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment or pestilence or famine, we will stand before this house and before you for your name is in this house and cry to you in our distress and you will hear and save. See now the people of Ammon, Moab and Mount Seir whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt and whom they avoided and did not destroy. They reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession that you have given us to inherit. So they, he's saying, we did not invade them, but they're rewarding us by coming to invade us. Oh, our God, will you not execute judgment upon them? For we are powerless. For we are powerless against this great multitude that is coming against us we do not know what to do but our eyes are on you so here we see jehoshaphat praying to god in most of his prayer is reminding god of his covenant reminding god what he has promised his people and his children and he ends his prayer recognizing that without god they're powerless they are powerless without him. And that's how we are when we're looking at these huge national crises. You just fill in the blank with, 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 with any crisis that feels huge and big and anything that you feel like it's not overcomable. We're never going to fix this. If there's anything like that that has ever come out of your mouth, that is the feeling of hopelessness and powerlessness. Jehoshaphat felt powerless. Now I want to read verses 13 through 17. Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. Then the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, son of Benaniah, son of Jael, son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the middle of the assembly, he said, listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you. Thus says the Lord to you. Do not fear or be dismayed at this great multitude for the battle is not yours, but God's tomorrow go down against them. They will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley before the wilderness of Jerusalem. This battle is not for you to fight. Take your position, stand still, and see the victory of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. So Jehoshaphat and the people of Israel pray, and God speaks. Then the Spirit of the Lord says, and this is what we're looking for. We're looking for what the Spirit of the Lord says. Now, I'm not trying to make the point of doing what Jehoshaphat did. What I am making the point is pray and listen for what the spirit of the Lord says. That is the behavior. God can tell us to do completely different things, but what you're wanting to do is learn how to discern his instruction. When you come to him and say, I am afraid I am in trouble. I am powerless without you. And you were asking him for help for something as huge as gun violence or inequity or injustice in our country. All right.
when we pray for our nation's trouble, which is what Jehoshaphat just did, right? When we pray for our nation's trouble, the citizens of the kingdom of God honors the covenant of God personally in all the things they have power and control, right? We are making the reforms. We are becoming a good king, right? Though that's important. We have to start with our own parts, with our own lives. We have to make sure that we are aligning our lives with being honorable to God's word. That's where it starts, all right? Just consider yourself a king. And that covers anything in your life that you personally have control over. That's your little kingdom, all right? You align your life in a way that honors God personally. And then you can, number two, seek the Lord. And I'm, I'm summarizing this section on praying for national troubles. Seek the Lord for his wisdom because without him, we are powerless. You have to believe that you do not have what it takes to solve the issue, but that God does. And because you belong in his kingdom, you have access to seek him for a response. Listen to what he says to do. Don't belittle what he says to do. He may tell you to do something that you feel is not even tangent to the issue, but obedience in what he asks you to do impacts our entire world, our entire world. And it just may be something as small as something he wants you to do for your child. It could be something as small as something he wants to do, wants you to do for your neighborhood. It could be something as small as starting a nonprofit organization. And I say that small because relatively speaking, it's just a drop in a bucket when you think about how big our problems are, right? Listen to what he says to do and then obey. This is an approach that a believer can take when there is national trouble, okay? All right, now I'm on number four. Only have five points I want to make. I'm on number four. In the kingdom of God, we pray for our own hearts to change. This is so important. When we're talking about prayer and its impact on equity, righteousness, and justice, we have to pray for our hearts to be changed. We have to position that in a way that eliminates our judgment on what other people are doing in order for our hearts to be the ones to change. Um, when I get into the episode of Biblical Community, I'm pretty sure I'm gonna share this story again, but I remember reading about what community looked like in the New Testament. And I believe it was in the book of Acts. I could correct this by the time I get to the episode on the discipline of community, but it was reflecting how the community would sell their possessions and bring everything to that particular home church or that particular biblical community. And the elders of the community would manage those finances to make sure that everybody within the community were cared for. And I remember just reading that in other accounts of, of biblical community in the new Testament. And I'm like, this is impossible. This is not a modern day solution to biblical community. This cannot happen. You'll never see this in the 21st century, not in America. I just remember thinking, oh man, that was, that was relevant to them, but that is not applicable to our lives today. And 
I just remember God challenging me. He's like, I'm not asking. I'm not. Okay. Let me rephrase this. Deanna, I am only asking you to be this. You don't have to worry about what I'm speaking to other people about this. If I ask you to do something that reflects this, that's all you have to be concerned about. But how arrogant are you to think that I am not talking to my children about this? Like you're the only one that has a revelation of community. (laughs) You're the only one that I'm speaking to in regards to how to love within biblical community. That's very arrogant, Deanna, but I want you to just focus on the things I've asked you to do in regards to living this part of my model out. You don't have to worry about everybody else. You just be this. When I am this, I am contributing to the cultivation of community, right? I say the same in regards to righteousness, justice, and equity. When we're seeking righteous justice and equity, we seek God for our own heart change. Our behaviors and choices change as a result, then our behaviors influence and help shape the world around us. But once again, it's not because it's you, it's because that's what the kingdom of God does. When we live out the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is what has the power to shape and change. We are just being asked to model and live the kingdom of God. And it starts with our own heart changes, little by little. You don't have to expect your heart to be completely changed today or tomorrow. Just start with the little things he's highlighting for you now and make the changes and make the changes. In the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, 13 says, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So this is like a personal daily prayer we can make in regards to temptation for our own selves and deliverance from evil for our own selves. Pray for our own hearts to change. And as our hearts change, our behaviors and choices change. And then as a result of our behaviors and choices changing, we help shape the world around us to be more like the kingdom. And here's the last one. In the kingdom of God, we pray for the sins of our nation as well. So we pray for our own sins. And then we pray for the sins of our nation. And I want to close with this account or with talking about Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a governor of Jerusalem who helped rebuild the wall of the city of Jerusalem. So this is after the temple was destroyed in 586 BC. Um, The Israelites had been exiled out of the promised land and they were now living in exile in Babylon. Nehemiah was a Jewish person who served in the, under the king. And at that time, King Artaxerxes was who was in power and he was a cupbearer in the king's court okay so he's this Israelite exiled Israelite he's living in Babylon he is appointed to serve the king in the palace at some time in his exile and he's now a cupbearer which means he's within the court he's right next to the king all right he has a relationship with the king 
He has conversations with the king. He is part of the king's people. Okay. I want to read Nehemiah chapter one, verse 11. I'm sorry. Chapter one, verses one through 11. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, while I was in Susa, the capital, one of my brothers, Han and I, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them about the Jews that survived. So there's some Jews that are still living. There were some Jews that weren't taken in the exile. These are probably people that were not desirable. Um, there were probably people that Babylon didn't feel worth bringing. All right. So there's some living there still. All right. And so he's asking for a report or Hannah and I came um, to give a report. And he says the survivors there in the province who escaped captivity are in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard these words, it, so the temple and their city wall, that, that was very, very important to them because the temple, of course, represents where God dwells with them, which was part of their covenant. And he promised them a land. And that wall around the city represented the promised land that they are supposed to be living in. So they are troubled and in shame because the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, fasting and praying before the God of heaven. I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for your servants. Okay, here's the prayer. The people of Israel, he's praying for the people of Israel, confessing the sins of the people of Israel. All right, confessing the sins of the people of Israel. The reason why they're exiled is because of their history of refusing to obey God's covenant. So we see Nehemiah now praying on their behalf, which have sinned against you. Both I and my family have sinned. We have offended you deeply, failing to keep the commandments, the statutes and the ordinances that you commanded for your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though you're outcasts, are under the farthest skies, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place at which I have chosen to establish my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great power and strong hand. O oh Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in river, revering your name. Give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. And then it ends with this. At that time, I was the cupbearer to the king. I'm going to circle back to that. But this whole chapter reflects Nehemiah's prayer to God regarding the nation of Israel. He includes himself in that prayer as well, him and his family, but he also prays for his nation. All right. In chapter two, verse two, the king is around or Nehemiah is around the king and Nehemiah is in, is in the court of the king. And he looks at Nehemiah and he notices something different about Nehemiah. And he notices that Nehemiah is sad. So the king said to me, why is your face sad? You're not sick. This can only be a sadness of the heart. So the king knows him. 
the king is looking at him like, you know, well, I, I, I can look at my kids and know when something's wrong, right? Because I dwell with them. I'm around them. So Nehemiah just living his life as a cupbearer is being noticed by the king, the most powerful person in Babylon. All right. The king notices Nehemiah's sadness. The king asks, uh, actually, I think it's Persia at this point. I don't think it's Babylon anymore. I think it's Persia. I could have my history wrong, but the most important person there. All right. The king notices Nehemiah's sadness. And in verse four, the king asked Nehemiah, what, what can I do for you? How can I help you? This is so valuable when you are understanding how the kingdom of God works. He, Nehemiah is in the presence of a powerful, powerful person. He has a relationship with this powerful person. This powerful person is now asking Nehemiah, what can I do for you to make your sadness go away? And in verse four, it says, Nehemiah prayed to God of heaven. He says, so I pray. Let me read it. The king said to me, what do you request? I want to back up. I want to read this. It's just too good to, to not read it all in context. All right. In the month of Nisan, in the 12th, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was served to him, I carried the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had never been sad in his presence before. So the king said to me, why is your face sad since you are not sick? This can only be sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my ancestors, my ancestors' graves lie waste and his gates have been destroyed by fire. So Nehemiah is afraid because he's, a, he's sad about how they were conquered by them. I'm here because we are now under your authority as exiles. And he was scared to share that was the reason for his sadness because he's talking to the person that had the power to exile them, all right? But he's brave enough to share. And then the king said to me, what do you request? This is huge. So I prayed to the God of heaven. Then I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor with you, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my ancestors' graves, so that I may rebuild it. So the king notices Nehemiah's sadness. The king asked Nehemiah, what did he request? Nehemiah first prayed to God and then responded to the king. And the story goes on. Uh, and reflects the king granting Nehemiah and Israelites to go back to rebuild the wall. So what is my point? Nehemiah, a servant of God, is an in, has a relationship with someone in power, someone that's able to impact the plight and experience of his nation of Israel. He submits his life to God and submits his responses to God. He prays to God. God tells him, or it doesn't say what God told him to do, but he did say that he started with prayer. And then his response was to, to request what he wanted from the king. And as a result, the king granted it. 
this is such a beautiful example of what happens when we believe that our prayers are our lives. We, we believe that our lives being honorable to God's word is important. And we believe that when we pray, God hears our prayers and responds. And we have faith enough to obey the instructions from what God tells us and know that as a result, it's going to impact the world in some way, shape or form. All right. So in the kingdom of God, we as believers should be praying for our, the sins of our nation. And this was a result of Nehemiah praying for the sins of Israel. They got to go back to their land. That was a big national problem and issue for them. Way bigger. When you think about it, they were exiled from their land. That's a huge huge issue that they felt powerless about. There are other examples of praying for the nation. I just want to give you a shout out to Psalms 44 and Psalm 46. I actually prayed Psalm 46 when Ukraine went um, into war with Russia or Russia attacked Ukraine. And I felt powerless and I felt helpless. And a friend of mine shared Psalm 46 with me. And that's the I literally prayed those scriptures over that country because I didn't know what else to pray. And that's not a cop-out. That's God's word being prayed for a nation, all right? So I want to end the episode talking about what does this mean in regards to prayer application in our lives if we're wanting prayer to help shape justice, equity, and righteousness in our nation. So I have a few action steps that I would love to encourage you in to just do something to get started. Okay. You know, you may have other things that you already have on your heart to do, but I invite you again to enroll in the free study on effective prayer, because if you don't believe your prayer is effective, then you're not going to pray effective prayers. <laughs> so I want you to have to strengthen your faith around your prayers being effective. Okay. And within that Bible study, I have a bonus lesson there. I think there's, uh, there's two lessons in there on there's, there's a example of, a, of praying the Lord's prayer of how you can journey yourself through praying the Lord's prayer. I believe that's in there, but I know there's a bonus lesson called the David prayer of concern, which is a model of prayer that you can use when you're praying for trouble, whether your own trouble or our nation's trouble. I think it's a beautiful example of how David model praying for trouble. Okay. In concerns of his heart that's included as a bonus lesson. And there's a template in there on praying through David's prayer of concern, which I just took from what he modeled in the Psalms. Okay. So that's the first thing you can do is enroll in the free Bible study of effective prayer. If you're wanting to strengthen your faith around prayer. And another thing maybe is just pick one day in your week. This is a day that you can circle back to every single week where you will dedicate time to pray on behalf of the trouble of our nation. And it could be around anything that makes you feel powerless in your ability to impact. So gun violence, mass shootings, inequity in education, the housing crisis, you know, what, um, racism and oppression, whatever things you're like, I don't see how we could ever have a different experience in our country. If, if you feel powerless 
pick one and then choose a day where you can pray about that. And you can use the David prayer of concern as your model to get you started in just having a way to pray through those things. Okay. Or you can just pull out Psalm 44 or Psalm 46 and pray over that particular thing. And just ask God, is there one thing that I can do? And just obey whatever it is, even if it feels small. Okay. All right. So I want to close answering the question that I started with. Does it take more than prayer to respond to these big oversized problems of our nation? And today my answer is yes. It's a resounding yes. Um, I do think it takes more than prayer, but when my yes is not tied to us doing more because I don't think it depends on us doing more, but I do believe it takes more than me. I do believe it takes more than you. <laughs> if the actions we take are not a result of our prayer, then our efforts to move the needle um, at most will offer temporal relief and at minimum just be flat out fruitless, right? If we are doing things based off of our own wisdom and our own efforts, our own might and power, at most we offer temporary solutions and at minimum our efforts are just fruitless. Praying it's not a cop-out response. It is the response. But our actions must follow the instructions given by God, even if we think the actions that we're taking or the actions he's requesting of us seem too small to make a difference. And that's it. I'll see you in the next episode. Thank you for listening to the study, pray and rest podcast. There's just a few things that I would love to ask of you before you go. Number one, if you enjoyed listening to this podcast, would you mind leaving an honest star rating or review on the platform that you are listening on? Number two, if this particular episode was particularly inspiring or impactful, for you? Do you mind sharing it within your circles of influence in your um, social media spaces with your family or friends? These types of things help us increase our reach, which of course gets our work out to more people. And it also speaks to our podcast platforms that our podcast is meaningful enough for them to share it organically as well. And number three, I would love to invite you to become a partner financially with Needle Movers for Social Equity. We are consistently funding our initiatives and programs and to have you leave a one-time donation or become a monthly financial partner would just do wonders for our work. So please prayerfully consider that and you can find out how to do that in the show notes or just visit needlemovers.org. That's it. Thank you so much again for listening and hopefully we'll chat soon.